Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. What's up, Fungal Associates? Welcome to Completely Arbitrary, the podcast about trees and other related topics. I am one of your hosts, and I'm sitting here with the other host, host number Dose. Host number Casey Clapp. Hello, Casey. Alex, good evening, good afternoon. Good and good night. Thank you. I didn't know if you knew what I was going to say next. How you doing? I'm doing great. I really am. We got a lot done today. I'm feeling really stoked about it. Yeah, you and I had a nice little work meeting before this, and... uh, what gets us energized to do the podcast is business meetings. Yes, energized. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> That's the word you're looking for. Work energizes me. It does. It does. I can see you're glowing right now with with productivity injury. I did. We. I think we did just enough work before this to wear me out. Oh yeah. So actually, it's done the opposite. <laughs> you fall asleep halfway through. Potentially. You know. Here's something. I wish yeah. I could. I did not sleep last night. Ooh. I'm sorry. I would love the idea of me like talking and like, yeah, anyway, so the treat, Alex, Alex, are you, are you sleeping? Right. You just hear like snores. A grave insult. Yeah, but it'd be, it would be a grave insult, but it'd also be kind of funny. I, I would honestly just keep going without you, but act like you're listening the whole time. Oh, sure. But make sure that everyone else knew that. They would just every now and then remember, oh wait, yeah, Alex is sleeping this whole time. <laughs> you hear a snore every once in a yeah, while. I think it would be kind of funny. Yeah. Anyway. Well, Casey, we're not here to talk about sleeping. I'm sorry you didn't sleep very well, but this, you're going to be energized. I'm going to keep you awake this time. We're going to do our best. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I literally will stay awake. Yes. Yeah, which is very fair. Thank you. I'm glad that you will. Yeah. Uh, we're here to talk about a... Oh, Casey. Yeah. I almost slipped here. You almost did. I saw that. This is our third of three... Yes. Trees. Thank you. It is not quite considered maybe a tree, but... If you just go by the name of it, right. it is in fact a tree by the that extremely local definition. Yes. This tree can be found where the streets have no name. Exactly. It is, after all, the Joshua tree. Ugh. Now, it's not a tree. No, it's not. It's a yucca? It's a yucca, but it could be a tree if you consider it growing as a tree, then yes. Sure, it's tree-like. Yes, and the, it, it literally is the Joshua tree. Well, today we're talking about the yucca brevifolia. We sure are. AKA the Joshua tree. The beautiful Joshua tree. Uh, let's imagine as we do every episode. Can I tell you something funny? Yeah. Uh, it's like a little dumb little kid brain thing. Uh-huh. When I was a kid, uh, and until about six months ago <laughs> i was gonna say how long did that last <laughs> i actually didn't know joshua tree was a species of tree i thought it was a specific tree i thought it was a specimen oh, of this tree i see i thought the joshua tree was 
the tree on the jacket of the U2 album. Oh, I see. Kind of like Joshua the tree. General Sherman tree. Yes, I a... thought it was named the Joshua tree. I see. Yeah. Let's imagine that you and I are in, how about this, Joshua Tree National Park. Easy. And we come across some Joshua trees. Casey, let's ID this yucca. Well, that sounds like a great idea. So it is a yucca. I think that has now gone without saying. It's it's not a it's it's a it's a monocot. I should right. we should put that out there first and foremost. First yawn of the day. I'm so sorry. First yawn I'm of the day. I'm just gonna keep track of it. There will be many. Yeah. Let's just like etch it into the wall or something. Yeah. Um, so a Joshua tree is a yucca. Yuccas are um, these desert plants that really survive very well mm. in humid, uh, not humid, uh, arid conditions. Okay. And they grow in everywhere. They're in the agave family as well. Oh. So agave, of course, famous for making tequila and uh, other Mexican drinks, uh, especially down in the southern area in Oaxaca and that kind of area. Agave so, is the one that, that the growth kind of looks like a big asparagus stock. Yeah, they are in the asparagales. That, so they're are family. Are you for yeah. real? Yeah, yeah. They're the asparagales or the like asparagus clan of everything that's actually huge so yeah it, that's you're, you pin that perfectly well yeah it's it's the family it's the order and they're in uh agavidae which is the subfamily and they're in the genus yucca okay yuccas are really cool because they have these long leaves that are very sharp and needle-like at the very end yeah but they kind of get a little bit wider they're very leathery and strappy um a lot of these plants were used to make baskets and sandals and things like that because their their leaves are so tough. Wait for Croson's homegrown tree. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'll take that back. Don't step on my yucca sandal toes. I won't. I won't. I'm sorry. So these, um, they're really tough. And of course, they have to be tough because they're living in these desert arid conditions. Because of that, they are not easily broken. They're not easily just chopped off. You have to really work for them. You can take like scissors, I suppose. But that's kind of the the level you have to go. You can rip an oak leaf in half with your fingers. Right. You need like a machete to bash this thing down. You really got to go for it. And uh, so yucca brevifolia, they have these long needles, uh, long, I, I keep saying needles, Alex, because they are like really long and skinny, but they are not needles, of course, they are leaves as a monocot, they, they have parallel veins up the entire length of their leaves. Okay. They're dark green, and they are growing on the end of these really tufted, interesting, branched yucca stems. Hmm. Now, most yuccas will stay pretty small, and they will flower multiple times. Uh, a lot of people see these, and they're these big, long panicles of flowers that come up on these gigantic, tall stalks, and they kind of just send these flowers out. They kind of hang down. So it's kind of like, I, I, I imagine like a, a big poofy thing on a stick. Like you're walking down a parade, and you have like this kind of like thing you're holding that has like jingle jangles on it. I imagine the, the Roman centurion at the front of the rank yeah. with the flag and all the the, the jingly jangles. Yeah, exactly. Now imagine if that's like 3D kind of all in circles. Hell yeah. Really beautiful, of course, you know, all okay. these things. So they're wildly planted as ornamentals just all over the place because mm. they have these really beautiful flowers. Now the yucca will have these same kind of flowers and it'll grow into a, its flowers will end up growing into these really kind of intense fruit. They're kind of these hard kind of pods with seeds on the inside. Yeah. And Every time they flower, just the same as the dragon blood tree, that tip ends up 
becoming the flower and then ends up no longer being able to grow the rest of the vegetation. So then two shoots from the side will come out and then those will continue to grow and become now new two new stems. Does that make sense? Does this same thing happen with cactus? You know, not exactly. Cactus, uh, there's some cactus that just grow in very, very specific ways where they Uh just have that one little like barrel and that barrel kind of just grows taller. Right. But I think that those have a growing point at the tip and will continually get bigger from the top where they don't grow upwards, kind of like what grass does, which is a monocot. Um, Cactus are not monocots, I don't believe. What are cactus? I think they're dicots. Oh, are they considered trees? No, not trees, but they're dicots and monocots are all plants, mostly. Right, 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 right. right, right. So, uh, but honestly, I don't know. I haven't done a lot of research into it, so I don't want to answer too many. uh, I don't want to fall on that 30% of Casey's just Mm. making shit up now. We we gotta we gotta ration that out. Yeah, we do. Yeah, this, yeah. Is, a, this is an hour long episode. Back. Um, but no, it's not quite the same. Uh, and like the the saguaro saguaro cactus, those um, will branch at a certain point. I think they have to be like thirty or forty or fifty years old before they just like send out this one random branch on the side. Hmm. They're very strange plants. I don't really understand them a lot. Maybe we should talk about them someday. Hey, I think we should. Yeah, so the yucca are really interesting in that they, they kind of had that, that similar growth pattern, like I said, to the dragon blood tree, yeah. where they grow up, and then that tip will fl- uh, fruit, which is the same thing that um, agave do, but agave, they just have this big like basal uh, rosette of leaves coming out. Hmm. Then when they send up their, uh, their shoot, that is a terminal bunch of flowers. Once it flowers, the agave die, the whole thing. Oh. They just... They One and done, huh? Exactly. Now, they sometimes send out little shoots from their roots and then like have these little babies that kind of start growing up. Uh, and then those babies will also sometimes um, get seeded out and you'll have new little babies come up from okay. seed. However, that initial plant, whatever that is, will kick the bucket one and done so yuccas do this as well yeah yuccas do this except their growing tip dies but those two they've developed the ability to have two shoots on the side or one or more shoots on the side this is smart continue growth exactly and that's what makes them and the dragon blood tree uniquely tree-like when they are in fact a kind of plant that normally would stay low whose ancestors wouldn't be doing that that's a good survival technique too yeah right it really is because like our first palm that we did that has the same thing where it just has one growing tip yeah once that tip dies if you go and cut it off then as soon as the rest of those leaves die the the whole thing's done right so it is a unique adaptation that these trees have gotten so that they can now go whoop and then continue living even though now they have flowered. It's almost like amphibious in a way, right? Oh, yeah. Like I, growing well, extra, if you chop, if, if, a, if a, I was going to say if you chop off, we don't have to go that dark. If a <laughs> lizard loses its tail, oh, yeah. doesn't it grow, grow it back in a way? I or? think kind of, but I think it would be more applicable if it was like a hydra lizard where you cut off the tail and, and then- And two more tails grow? Exactly. Okay. That yeah. would, that I think would, would re- sell that metaphor perfectly. Okay. Well, it's like a hydra. It is. It's like a hydra. Yeah. The uh, the funny thing is, um, so I'm doing some research on this, and someone noted if you see one tall yucca or one tall uh, Joshua tree that has uh-huh. no branches, that one has not flowered yet because it has to flower for that, oh. that terminal bud to die or to no longer be growing vegetatively, then it would have to shoot out on the side. Interesting. Okay. How so often do go. they flower? You know, I don't really know. I think it happens fairly frequently, but it usually is 
has to do with um, some interesting uh, environmental factors. Mm. One, they have to have a very cold winter. Oh, That cold winter stimulates the plant to put on flowers the next year. But they also have to have enough water because they live, of course, in a desert. If there's not enough water to produce the flowers and then the subsequent fruit and the seeds inside of that, then the the plants aren't going to live. So they're like, eh, this isn't a good time. I can't do it. I see. So it's between those two things, which usually should be pretty consistent the entire year, or rather from year to year. Question. Alex, go. You know, usually when we're dis- when we're IDing these trees we talk about, uh-huh. I say, okay, what about the leaves? Okay, what about the bark? Uh-huh. Okay, what about the, you know. Uh-huh. This thing's a little different. It's a tree. Yes. Does the... Joshua tree, so excuse uh, me, the Joshua tree. Yeah, the Joshua grass. The Joshua grass. Does it have anything that you could equate to or call confidently bark? Mm, or is it yeah. or is it like a palm that's just like it's fibrous all the way through? Well, it's like a palm, it's just fibrous all the way through. Okay. So I don't think it has a very strict sense of what it is. They're all just these intense vascular bundles. Yeah. But on the outside, those vascular bundles are really fibrous and rough. And they can kind of get a little bit of a um a woodiness to them, but it's the same woodiness as, as palms where it looks like a, a outer sheath kind of thing. But that outer sheath is made up of the same stuff as all the inner sheath. It just may not have the, the roughened and weathered sort of look and appearance because it you know is inside rather than outside. I got you. Yeah, but it doesn't have bark. It's not really bark. It's not really bark, yeah. And that's kind of the big thing that sets the dicots and the monocot trees apart is the bark is actually produced every single year in a whole separate zone in the in the cambium layer of a tree. And the bark ends up becoming crushed phloem tissue that then comes out and becomes corky and woody and then just keeps keep pushed out and pushed out and mm. pushed out. So you end up getting an actual like layer developed from the cork cambium as opposed to this, it's just the outer side of a bunch of uh, cells, a bunch of these long vessels all just jammed in together. Do you think it would be safe to call this meow? What? Meow? You just, you just say, I don't get it. Instead of bark. Oh my God, Alec. You're kidding. Oh, I can't even, I don't want to even <laughs> dignify that. Oh my God! Where do you come up with this? You're crying now. You're so proud of yourself. I'm not crying. Yeah, you are. You laugh so much. I'm crying of joy. (laughs) That went so far over my head. Yeah. If it was a snake, it would have bit me. Oh yeah, it's a dry wit. (laughs) (laughs) What do you call it? What's the opposite of going over your head? Like usually something is too smart, it Uh, goes over your head. But this was so dumb, it like went under your legs. Yeah, exactly. Like maybe it's a, a wall that smashed into my face, but I didn't even see it coming. Yeah, I didn't know it was there. Maybe, maybe like a baseball it, that rolls through your legs. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's what it you is. Couldn't was, catch it with yeah. your glove. It's like, yeah, that was a it was a through ball. It really was. Yeah, we can move on if we want. No, I like this. This should, is good. <laughs> should we? Yeah, and honestly, there's so many people who I think would be like, yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, trees have bark. This is the big thing between the monocots and the dicots. Yeah, trees have bark. Non-trees have meow. Yeah. Easy. They're going to say that to a coworker, and their coworker <laughs> is going to have the same reaction you did. Yeah, and then they're going to get punched in the face and sent <laughs> home. 
I'd like to talk to you about your job performance. It has been off the charts. <laughs> Thank you for bringing humor into this workplace. <laughs> How do you do it? Well, I listen to a podcast called it's Completely Arbitrary. Highly recommend it. Uh, my, my therapist asked me what my podcast was called today. Oh, yeah? And it's so embarrassing. Anytime I have to say it, I just, I just can't stand communicating it oh out my god loud. i love it i uh, yesterday i went to a, a conference or a little seminar and i got to tell people that and i but i i use the timing i was like it's called completely arbitrary get it um, and then everyone was kind of like ah and then they all giggled and they, all and they liked it yeah 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 mm. they i given they were all arborists so maybe they're a little bit predisposed to that kind of thing but i don't think i've ever said it out loud to somebody else like telling them for the first time without having some i have some sort of like shoulder reaction <laughs> to where i your sort of own creation cringe to myself <laughs> what does uh, i say about what we've done here <laughs> oh well uh casey how about some croson's homegrown trivia hey let's get into it alex while you do that i'm gonna plug in my computer whose death is imminent oh my gosh it, a real ticking clock element i love it okay case um faster alex <laughs> well i also i also want to talk with you about these things <laughs> all right that's that's fair casey is getting his cable he's reaching behind my couch i can do it he has plugged in his computer he's about to plug it into the computers to the computer end did you make it in time <sighs> we did it wow holy heck <laughs> all right case all right what do we got some homegrown trivia uh so the Joshua Tree. It has a name in Spanish that I adore. Ooh, what is it? It is Isote de Desierto. Ooh. Which translates to Desert Dagger. Desert. Ooh, that is good. Isn't so, that fantastic? Dagger of the Desert. Yeah. I have to say, I like how in Spanish and other languages like it, they they reverse things. They don't say yeah. it's always like this of that. Yes. I love that. I think it's so good. I like it too. It's very romantic in a way. It is, which is why they call them romantic languages. From Rome. Uh, etymologically, yeah. there is this common idea that Mormon settlers named the Joshua tree. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. Um, however, there really is no like... I. I even even the article I read said this. There is no actual proof. Yeah, which is I read that as well because that's that was my understanding. I've told that to many people. It's just like folk legend, I guess. Yeah, which is so funny. Everyone's. They, I do you think they just like took credit and like ah oh, sh- sure yeah we named it <laughs> whatever <laughs> write it in the book yeah write it in the Smith book of Mormon was, okay. <laughs> made a little footnote <laughs> yeah footnote by the way those trees well, that's us <laughs> um did Joseph Smith write the Book of Mormon I don't even know I don't remember I think there's another guy it, it, technically no I think the Book of Mormon no it was those plates there's like golden plates that were found uh, or something. oh yes yeah. there were golden plates that were found yeah we shouldn't get into it <laughs> Okay, so uh, the common idea is that the Mormon settlers named this tree Joshua Tree because it reminded them of a Bible story mm-hmm. in which Joshua, the uh, Testament uh, Old Testament prophet, mm, yep. uh, had uh, was praying to the Lord our God. Had his hands up. I have the I have the uh, the, the the quote from Ooh, the Bible here. Yeah, Casey. give it to us. Give it to us. And the Lord, all caps said unto Joshua, stretch out the spear that is in thy hand toward I, for I will give it into thine hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that he had 
in his hand toward the city. Sick. There's no proof that that is the actual origin of the name. Okay, gotcha. Um, the peoples who occupied what is now Joshua Tree National Park uh, before the uh, arrival of the colonizers were uh, the Serrano, uh-huh. the Cahuilla, the Mojave, and the Kemehuevi. Ooh. Um, they used and continue to use the yucca uh, for its fibers. This is a very fibrous plant, yeah, as, we you've, as about you've noted. Um, good for woven sandals, baskets, ropes. I imagine it's amazing rope material. I was going to say, yeah, I could just totally imagine that. I know I've seen like uh, weaved baskets of it before. And yeah. They're really beautiful. Here's a fun one. You take one of the brushes, mm-hmm. you kind of chew off the end a little bit, make uh-huh. it really rough. Yeah. Um, did I say take one of the brushes? You did. Well, it, that was a Freudian slip because uh-huh. you take one of the leaves, chew the end off a little bit, uh, you've got a paintbrush. That's fascinating. Yeah. Cool. And how about this, Casey? The Joshua tree is a sewing kit. Wait, okay? the whole tree. The whole oh, tree. Give me, one leaf give me and a little strip of bark. So you got the, you, you take your leaf. Uh-huh. The end is so pointy. You, ch- you chop it off. That's your needle. Oh, yeah. You use the fibers from the bark as uh-huh. twine. Okay. And you've got a sewing kit. That is incredible. Pretty amazing. See, just the the, the use of people whose, whose lives entirely devoted to their environment in this yeah. way. Just as they, they've got such a relationship with all this stuff. It always blows my mind. It's, uh, it's pretty great, and it's just in vast, stark contrast yeah. uh, to how we live today, how right? you and I live yeah, today. Yeah, exactly. Casey, the fruit can be eaten raw or mm-hmm. cooked. Uh, even the flowers are sweet. Yeah. Uh, when you can just eat them raw. Like, uh, I, I, I recently learned that you can eat magnolia flowers. Yeah, I don't know exactly how, but I know uh, Black Forager did something about she, that. She pickled them. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, the So, this is this was my favorite find of the as far as the indigenous uses of the, of the yucca more broadly, the Joshua tree more specifically. Uh-huh. You take a root, mm-hmm. you kind of mash it up, Mm-hmm. Maybe like a mortar and pestle. Yeah. And it becomes kind of sudsy. Okay. You mix that with water, and that is a good soap and shampoo. Wow. I've actually had soap when I was down in the Southwest uh-huh. that I got from, it was it was called yucca soap. But I don't know if it was just used in like scented like yucca, or right. if it was this kind of exact technique. Uh, I mean, it's yeah, I, I really want to try yucca shampoo now. Yeah, that would be sweet. Now- Alex, is there any uh, any popular culture uh, references that this tree's ever been made in? Oh, Casey. Hmm? <laughs> Your face. <laughs> Boy, is there. Earnestness uh, at its finest, Alex. The U2 album. Oh, The yes. Joshua Tree. Oh, my goodness. It featured a photograph of a specific Joshua Tree uh, on its on the back of its uh art jacket yeah um that specific tree fell down in 2000 oh it did in the year 2000 that is too much uh the site remains a popular tourist attraction that is so funny for you know a small sect of people i guess (laughs) hey everyone's gotta have their like uh their mecca that they gotta go visit the tree of uh, u2's joshua tree well uh, correct me if i'm wrong u2 is a band from uh is ireland or northern ireland one of those irish yeah and so how did joshua tree become like the symbol of that album 
Casey, I'm not sure. Are you? Do you know? No, I have no idea. Oh. I have an, another confession. What? I've never really listened to Joshua Tree. Oh. This album, I think I've listened to it maybe in piecemeal sure. over the years without really knowing it. Um, actually, I do I do recall a bit from, from the article I read about this. Uh-huh. They wanted the album to sound like the desert. Oh. They wanted to evoke that sort of feeling. So they sent a photographer to America. Gotcha. To travel to travel through the Southwest mm-hmm. and take photos of things. And they, he came back with one of these trees and they loved it. Oh, I see. Um, okay. Well, that makes sense then. I, I get that. That's like, you You would have had to really love it to name your entire album off about yeah, it. Yeah, I suppose so. And you know what? I think so many people love this tree to that extent. Yeah. In fact, I think that one thing that constantly came up when I was driving through the Southwest, driving through national or this national park, Joshua Tree National Park, the mm-hmm. titular national park. It was like, it, it's everywhere. Like it's 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 kind of this, a similar symbol as the saguaro cactus uh, for a different part of the Southwest. Mm. And it's really curious to me that they're just like, uh, they've blown up, not to mention with the new age of living in your truck or your van and going out like Joshua Tree is the destination every the the place to do mushrooms yeah i I suppose (laughs) well it's just like everyone is always going down there i'm i i'm not a desert person i'm surrounded with desert people and i love them to death but i myself am a bigger forest person Mm. i want to be in the green dense tall growing trees thing yeah and so i'm walking down it's a beautiful place of course but I like the reverence that people from up here in the Pacific Northwest, I see like, like people who are like, ah, I just got to go down there. Just yeah. Some, it's a Joshua tree. Some people really crave the desert. I, I, I like the desert, but I also, right. I'm, I come from a long line of, uh, you know, uh, British people with weak <laughs> constitutions. Like, where's he going with this? <laughs> Man, when the heat wave last year nearly fucking killed me. Yeah. Um. So yeah, but the desert also gets fucking cold. So I don't know. I might it enjoy does. that part of it. Yeah. Well, this is a uh, this is curiousness. Now you know that the the desert in particular that we're talking about is the Mojave Desert. You know that? Yes. Now, Alex, did you know that there are three? Or four other deserts in the uh, the western area. Okay. Now, none of the things that happen in any one of these individual deserts happens in the other desert, including the Joshua tree and its range. It grows in the Mojave Desert mm. and only in the Mojave Desert. Endemic. It is endemic to this this one specific desert ecosystem. How about that? And it's kind of an interesting thing that this uh, this tree and this desert are like inextricably com- like conjoined. Yeah, which is really interesting. And the other deserts have other things that are inex- or that are inextricably combined or just unique. To them, yeah, and that is uh, that's I think what we're going to talk about a little bit more today. Well, let's talk about it, Casey. But first, yeah, oh, we got to take a break. I was ready, Alex. We'll be right back with more completely arbitrary. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. 
Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome back to Completely Arbitrary. Today we're talking the Joshua Tree. Casey, I got something to say. What do you got? What do you got here, Alex? Do you feel the energy in this episode is a bit a bit like, you know, like teachers after school? All Ooh. the kids go home. You and I are just like, where should we should be grading papers? Oh yeah, but instead, yeah, you, we're like sitting here and like we pull out our own Capri Suns that we don't share with the kids <laughs> and our orange slices. Poke poke holes in there. It just feels. I don't know. I think I think this this episode feels very casual. Uh, kind of like a behind the scenes. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I, I think a couple things are playing into that. The fact that this is not a tree, and yes. so I feel like. I feel, almost feel like it's a Patreon episode. Oh. Patreon.com slash arbitrary button. Ooh, wait. What can you get there? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm I'll, just kidding. I'll tell you that at the end of the episode. <laughs> uh, and the fact that it is a, an extremely gloomy, drizzly day here in Portland. Yeah, of which there's been many this year. Yeah. So Did, it's, it's just a good day to kick back and chat. Yeah, I think it's true. Did you know uh, about one year ago, it was like 118 degrees? Today. Mind-blowing, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if exactly today, but in this relative time period. I think 113 was the hottest, wasn't uh, okay, it? Yeah, so we got... Uh, no, I thought it was like 118. Maybe really? It was, was it 113? Maybe, I Either don't way, know. Too hot. So oh, I'll boy. take I'll take this uh, I'll take this any day. Yeah, week. thank you for that perspective. I'm now incredibly mm-hmm. grateful for this rain. Mm-hmm. There you go, me too. Well, Casey, speaking of rain, speaking of the opposite of rain, I'll say. Thank you. That the, makes more sense. The desert, hey, it doesn't rain much there. Let's talk about the desert. Let's do it. And its relationship to the Joshua tree and the Joshua tree's relationship to it. Ah, uh, the Joshua tree in the desert. You so, can't you can't say I I don't make perfect <laughs> transitions, Casey. No. Let's move on. Anyway, the Joshua tree. Now, Alex, the Joshua tree, I said this already. It's endemic to the Mojave Desert. Yes. Now, it's it's not necessarily endemic to like uh, a particular one spot i'll give you an example the port orford cedar um is endemic to like one section of forest in southern oregon and northern california port orford yeah exactly that's exactly it uh, the brewer spruce is another tree it's just right in that very specific area okay um sometimes down in the tropics there have been places or species that have been endemic to like a hill which is wow a mind-blowing thing that's insane it's absolutely insane the tropics i i wish that i even had the the ability to go into how insane they are but suffice it to say this is kind of the opposite of the tropics but it's not the opposite of the tropics in the sense of biodiversity Mm. which I think is a really fascinating kind of thing. Spent a lot of time down in these deserts, and in the last, uh, was it, is it April, I think, we drove down through Joshua Tree in the Mojave Desert. Yeah. We saw the Joshua Trees. You could see them from far off. I posted a really cool video. Maybe we'll, we'll repost that video. And the Joshua Trees only grow between maybe 10 and 40 feet tall. 
They're not very big, maybe 20 feet um, spreading out. Actually bigger than I thought. Yeah, honestly, you see a picture of it and you're like, eh, it's like, I could probably touch like three quarters of the way up. Yeah, yeah. They're really, they, they're not huge, but they, uh, they grow in these big, vast forests, but they're still spaced apart like maybe 80 or 100 feet. So the forests, again, I, I think if this is going to be a tree with quotes, it needs to be a forest with quotes. Okay. The forest itself is really widely spaced. So you're driving through and you just see like a bop, 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 but like dotted everywhere over oh. the entire place. So not um, like tightly packed like our forests here. No, definitely not. The exact opposite. And they grow in, in these big... I guess it's just these patches because then they don't grow where there's just not enough water, where there's already not a lot of water. So they're already really good at living in these dry, arid conditions. Yeah. But they don't grow like on the top of certain hills. They only have a certain range in terms of their uh, their elevation. And all of these little things end up making these trees um, only able to grow in this one desert. They need, as we said before, a, a cold temperature, freezing temperatures. The Mojave Desert routinely has temperatures that are below freezing, hmm. and this is really important. A, it helps stimulate the plant, but B, if you go down further south, and further south would take you into the Sonoran Desert, the Sonoran Desert does not have temperatures that are below freezing. They stay above freezing. So no Joshua trees. No Joshua trees. Exactly. And then if you go too far up in elevation, no Joshua trees. Mm. If you go to somewhere that's really low in elevation, you also get no Joshua trees because essentially it's just too dry. The uh, Mojave Desert is uh, a desert that is in the rain shadow of the Sierra Nevada. Ah. It has the famous Death Valley National Park. Are you familiar with this? Yeah. Hey, for more info on rain shadow effect, ah. uh, tr- time travel a year back to mm-hmm. our... Ponderosa Pine. Ponderosa Pine episode. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yep. Were you about to say, don't tell me? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I told you. Wait, wait. Don't tell me. Oh. I didn't wait, nor did I wait, and I told mm-hmm. you. So, as it happens, this rain shadow, um, the Sierra Nevada are really high mountains, especially mm. down here. Some of the the white mountains um, in that sort of just on the other side. So, the way California works is they have um, what's called transverse ranges, and they have these other mountain ranges that go like north-south. Transverse are usually ones that go um, east-west, if I recall. Oh. So, the Sierra Nevada goes all the way down the spine of California. It connects with the Cascades going up in Oregon. Quickly. Yes. I'm reminded of Mordor. Uh-huh. What did you, what did you call the east-west mountains? Uh, the transverse mountains is my Transverse and, yeah. and northwest or north-south are? Uh, this is just, we just have other names for them. They're just uh, mountain ranges. Okay. Mordor mm-hmm. is kind of blocked off by two... It's like a box shape of ma- of a mountain range. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. There's like a north. There's a there's an east west mountain range to the mm-hmm. north and the south, and oh. then they are. It's almost like a natural wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is kind of an interesting geographic. Uh, I know it's. I know it's not real. Uh, <laughs> hey, but it is an interesting geographical thing. We know that Tolkien to did all the research on this. Oh yeah, I'm sure he did. Yeah. yeah. Well, so that whole area, the the desert, if you go north, where it actually gets really, really cold, where you don't get any Joshua trees. Are we still talking about Middle Earth? Yes, we're sorry. We are sorry. We got to come. We got to get back to the main thing. You're right. I'm sorry. Um, If you're back on Earth, normal Earth. Yes. 
you're in the Mojave Desert, you go north, that leads you into the Great Basin. Okay. And the Great Basin is another big desert. Essentially, uh, imagine the entire state of Nevada. Um, this whole area, the entire basically Intermountain West between the Cascades or the Sierra Nevada and the Rocky Mountains mm-hmm. is what we call the Great Basin. And this is kind of south of... Um, not even south, actually, just between those two big things that go all the way up into BC. There's this, uh, this, these formations called basin and ranges. Have you heard of this? Basin and ranges. Yes. How, do you, how are you saying that? How, that second word? Um, ranges is in like range. Oh, you have and range. ranges. Yes. So okay. there's Basin and range uh, is the the term that they use. I don't know. I don't think I know what what that means specifically. Well. What it is trying to denote is a landscape that is characterized by having really tall mountains mm-hmm. and then really big basins in between. Oh, okay. And there's in this area, in the Great Basin, there's no drainage. All the water that goes into that Great Basin uh-huh. stays in the Great Basin. Oh. Then you get lakes like the Great Salt Lake, where it's actually so salty because there's no water that drains out of it. It's it oh. is literally a gigantic sea that used to be the entire this entire area when there was more water coming in. So the Great Basin used to be a, a giant lake in yeah. itself, or okay. or many gigantic lakes uh, all in itself. Correct. Okay. So uh, as you go further south into the Mojave Desert, you still get this basin and range, but there's a little bit more drainage that goes mm. into I think the uh, Rio Grande as well as the Colorado River. Mm. So basically, um, this desert is unique in that it is. In the same basin and range area, so there's these big tall mountains, like the White Mountains that have the bristlecone pines up to like 13,000 feet. Yeah. But then also go down to the very bottom. In that same county, you have the lowest point um, in North America in uh, Death Valley National Park. So the basin and range difference is really huge. So you go too high up, you go too far down. It's all in the rain shadow, so there's a tiny amount of rain. And then you you also get this really cold temperature and then it goes up to well over the hundreds all the time. So it's kind of this mm. desert that is like really extreme in every regard. But it doesn't have the large growing saguaro cactus and it doesn't have a bunch of other plants that only grow in the further south or further east area that can only take conditions that say don't go below freezing. So you find that there's these four interesting deserts, the Great Basin, the Chihuahuan Desert, the Sonoran Desert, and the Mojave Desert. Mm -hmm. They're all bordered right next to each other, and you can tell very distinctly where they exist and where they don't exist. So the Sonoran Desert is the one that has the very famous saguaro cactus. That's where they are like most prominent. I think there's a couple areas where the two kind of overlap, but I would say that the saguaro cactus basically was like, I'm going to be the dominant thing in this habitat. It does not like really low freezing temperatures. So if you go a little bit further north, the thing that takes its place is the Joshua tree. The Joshua Mm. tree says, well, I can take freezing temperatures. It actually is something that I have adapted to in order to know when to fruit and when to branch off and that kind of thing. But if you go even further to the uh, east and you go into like West Texas, 
Texas. That starts the Chihuahuan Desert, which has a bunch of different agave and like pinyon pines and mostly just really low growing um, shrub layers that are really widely spaced. Again, like you can walk through them as if they're, they're hallways between everything, but really they're just widely spaced because I want my roots, Alex, to go over and just barely touch your roots, but I don't want to compete with your roots. I don't, I, I want to make sure that I'm taking all of my water and I don't want you anywhere near me, but sure. you don't want me near you. But in, in a temperate forest, there's enough water where everything can just grow on top they can of just each kinda, other. Yeah, and, exactly. Or literally on top of each other, you know? Right. So that's a, it's, it's a vastly amazing ecosystem. And I've read that these deserts are some of the most intact ecosystems in the entire United States, entire North America, because you can't really grow a lot of food there because they're, they're pretty arid deserts. Mm. Um, they can't support the amount of people that would want to live there out in like doing farming and ranching so they just kind of like slowly become their own big thing you get this preserve you get this national park you get all these other kind of things it's not to say that that isn't you know there aren't people living there there's people that have been living there for you know thousands of years um but for whatever reason we just haven't really gone in and like developed the hell out of them maybe like Tucson and Phoenix have like really done some damage to these deserts. Sure. But for the most part, they're very intact ecosystems uh, on a large landscape level, which is really curious. But what fascinates me is that if you go back in time, uh, I've brought this book up multiple times. It's uh, saber tooth cats and woolly or giant sloths and saber tooth cats. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We the talk book about um, megafauna. Yes, exactly. In the Great Basin, specifically. What episode did we talk about that in? Ooh, that oh. was... Oh, Sage Orange. That was it. That was the one. Nice job. I waited. I waited. I didn't tell you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. <laughs> so, uh, in this book, they talk about this particular tree because the, the uh, yuccas and Joshua trees have flowers that are really, really high up. Yeah. So, they're thinking, well, the only thing that would eat those going to be these big megafauna, Tall ass animal. Yeah, exactly. So they also had the theory that maybe that is what's keeping the Joshua tree in such a small location. Why doesn't it, even though it potentially could live at a little bit higher elevation, or sorry, higher latitude, it could live a little bit further south, it could live to the east or the west, mm. just in these individual places. They thought that maybe it was uh, actually moved around by species like giant sloth who would go up there and be tall enough to just kind of rip one thing down. And you can imagine if you're a yucca and you grow tall and a giant sloth rips one of your branches off, it behooves you to be able to grow a new branch yeah. from where that comes. So they, they started postulating maybe there's all these things that are completely gone in this uh, in these ecosystems, whether that's megafauna or pure water where right now it's a desert because of a lack of water maybe those mountains weren't there when joshua tree first colonized this area so there was water everywhere mm. there was there was a whole ocean inland here where these plants could grow and get a bunch of water so looking back and trying to like piece together all those things is really fascinating i think there's a level of um I think there's a level of sort of intrigue mm -hmm. around the Joshua tree. Mm. It, it presents itself as sort of like a piece of mythology. Yeah, which honestly, um, Alex, when I was going through this, I uh -huh. didn't, I, I had fully planned not to like 
not to give it that credit is like I'm not gonna I'm not just gonna be someone who's like I want to go be a dirtbag and go rock climb and it's gonna be great yeah I'm gonna go down to Joshua Tree like I've always been like Joshua Trees are stupid I don't wow care they're beautiful I like what they look like I'm glad they're protected and all this stuff yeah but I was just like hey, who cares they they became this weird symbol that everyone latched onto but they couldn't stand up to you know some scrutiny of their symbology yeah you know that's actually some some research i didn't know i wanted to do oh was like how uh how the joshua tree sort of became this pop culture symbol for like like going and doing drugs and like finding yourself in the middle of the desert ah see i that's funny that you brought that up because for me it's it's not even doing drugs or anything like that the most i associate it with is people who are um going down to this area to Mm -hmm. be these you know rock climbers just live in the desert very like desert solitaire kind of thing yeah and that's what i always do so not necessarily even i've never even considered that as a part of it i thought it was just this this uh the the mystique of being you are you familiar with the term dirtbag in the colloquial use i think so just like somebody who lives in a van on purpose yeah and, exactly yeah. yeah so i i guess yeah maybe you're right so did you, your research did you find did it convince you or are you like yeah i need to go down and like find my spiritual alex in joshua tree no <laughs> no i don't i don't play that kind of music Casey, I think it's a good time for our review okay. of the okay. Joshua Tree. There's a lot going on here. I'm very torn. Yeah, I have to like. I feel like I need to process some mm, things. Okay, well, you. I, I want to hear like that after process the, after the death of a family member. I just need some time <laughs> to process. Yeah. Um. Here's how it works. We'll give some final thoughts on this tree. Our last tree for a while. And then give it a rating of 0 to 10 Golden Cones of Honor. Mm-hmm. Casey, as a resident expert, we'll begin with you. Okay. I think this might be one of the most probably uh, picturesque of the yuccas. Uh, I am at uh, the National Wildlife Federation's entry on the Joshua Tree. And there's a picture on it, which is just a stunning picture. Unfortunately, they're not letting me actually click on it, but... All you all you got to do is do a quick Google search, and people go down there. The desert is really beautiful in that the the colors are like this. Is this pastel? Is that the term I should use? Uh, I don't I don't see the image you're looking at. You literally just saw oh, this all one of here. The, all of the pictures of the desert that are really beautiful are those pastel colors? Oh sure, yeah. Okay. I guess like like desert skies or pastel yeah. pinks and, and blues, like the and, sage green and yeah. like the kind of muted reds the, and the, the khaki tan color of the sand. Yeah. yeah, and then the sky is like a a opal or a cobalt blue, right? right? And that always like I I have to admit like I'm like those are really good pictures. Like those yeah. make those trees look stunning i just I, that that i think is what captivates a lot of people to go down here it's like just the colors and the weird exposures that you can do to show these trees off it blow my mind is this the photo here that you're talking about uh it's not quite no but oh, okay. I, it doesn't need to be it they're all the same every yep. really good beautiful like well-colored photo there's so many of them because i think it's it's the trees literally like demand it i would say yeah i have to give him some credit for that um i also kind of got to give the joshua tree credit for for being a self-made tree 
no other yuccas really get up there. Very few things in the agave plants mm. or, or agave family actually get up there. Now, agaves are like giants in and of their own right. One day, we'll probably maybe talk about agave just because they're insane. Yeah, we'll see. But my goodness, this tree pulled itself up from its bootstraps and had to contend with ancient giant sloths breaking it apart and eating all of its seeds and all these things. That's pretty cool. That's a right-wing talking point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, but now you're, you're kind of like, uh, I have to, uh, I don't know. It's always impressive to me when a tree can can make it through for no real good reason at all. Yeah. And then become a like status symbol. The American beach, or, I'm sorry, the European beach, either one. Those are both like, they were symbols for time immemorial. Yeah. Like, everyone's always loved those trees. Uh, the Joshua tree is like, it just is this random thing growing in the desert and everyone's like, that's going to be my cultural symbol. And I'm like, what? How did you, how, how did you just make that decision? How did it just happen? So anyway, so I'll, I want to give it credit for being a self-made tree. It it did it. Credit well well given. But at the same time, it also is, you know, I think, you know, you know, it's, yeah, it's fine. It's overplanted, Casey? It's, I don't know. It might be. <laughs> it might be a little overplanted. It might just be that it just, it doesn't have uh, the, if you go and you give it a little scrutiny, it's not going to grow more than 40 feet tall. It uh, it doesn't create these big forests, you know? Be honest, and you'll have you'll have no problem with this. Do you think you have a little bit of tree bias because you mm. know it's not a real tree? Yeah, I probably do. I Which probably is fine. Do, we all have our biases. I guess I guess maybe, maybe, Alex, this is a good time to say this. We've been doing now, this is our third tree, right? Our third tree. tree. In quotes. Yes. Our, our third non-tree tree. I think I might have convinced myself over the course of this to <gasps> basically be like, you know what? I don't care what your, what your, uh, your silly uh, botanical or anatomical definition is for a tree. Yeah. I think I have to be like, you know what? This, this is more tree than half the things we call tree. Hang Four, on. 40 feet tall is way taller than like a Japanese maple. I want to say something about this, but I want you to give your cone score first. Okay. I might give this a, a solid 7.8. Hey, that's great. I think it's pretty okay. That's a great score. I think it's beautiful, but, um, you know. Especially for a non-tree. I might have to begrudgingly just uh, just kind of set that that aside from, from behind and be like, you know what? I'm moving on from my uh, my discrimination wow. against uh, secondary growth. I can't wait to take all this out of context and Please. like stitch it together and get you canceled. <laughs> oh, my God. Thank you, Alex. Um. Yeah, okay, 7.8 Golden Cones of Honor for the mm-hmm. for the Joshua Tree. I think we did it. Uh, Casey, the thing I said I was going to say yeah. about your new opinion that, and congratulations on your personal growth, by the Thank way. Thank you. I'm really On trying. your secondary growth. Oh. Uh, <laughs> at one point, I said this. Mm-hmm. I said, I, I was getting frustrated at you because you were saying that something wasn't a tree and I was like, it's basically a tree. And you were like, Mm. no, no, no. Yeah. And I was getting mad. Okay. Because you were being so snarky about it. Pedantic, perhaps. Yes. And I was like, no, it's basically a tree. I'm just going to call it a tree. And you you were like, no, I don't think you can call it. Okay. Okay. So it feels like you have moved more toward the center. Yes. I think that's fair. Of calling non-trees trees, mm-hmm. which gives me, and because because everything's about me, it gives me a little bit of validation <laughs> Okay, for my opinion that I guarantee you would have gotten shit if I had said it out loud on the podcast. Ah, are you about to tell us your opinion now? No, that was oh, the opinion okay. that I'm, I I'm okay calling non-trees 
trees. I gotcha. As just a broad term. Okay. I'm, we- I'm fine calling shrubs bushes. Mm. Oh, you won't go with me there. Yeah, maybe let's like take this one step at a time, Alex. Wow, is it an extremist view? <laughs> Sometimes I think you really do try to put that kind of ideology on my shoulders. <laughs> All yeah, right. I can't wait to stitch that together. <laughs> <laughs> We've had a lot of words in here that you could edit together to make something nefarious. Uh, the Joshua Tree, I think, is pretty cool. I love that it is endemic to a small part of the world, mm-hmm. and that's the only place you're going to find it. That's right. Um, I love any tree that's like that. That's like that's very special. Oh. I love how versatile it is in terms of uh, what you can use it to make. Mm-hmm. Um, visually, I think it's just okay. Mm, yeah, it's, it's a little. I don't know. It doesn't vibe with my aesthetic. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's okay. This is fair. But I do think. Uh, it deserves a 7.5 Golden Cones of Honor. A 7.5? Yeah. Okay, it's a little bit lower. Yeah, but that's... I think we're on the same page here. But that feels right to me. And yeah. the 7 range is good. I think Honestly, yeah. I'd give a, I'd give the Joshua Tree by U2 probably like a 6. Oh, wow. Yeah. Have you not heard this album, though? I don't think so. I, like I said, not not like... A, I haven't just said press play and then just listen to it all the way through. You've heard maybe a, a single or two? Yeah, I did a, a reel on Instagram where I used one of their things. Yes. Mm-hmm. Anyway. The streets have no name. Yeah, that's right. Casey, that was our review of the Joshua Tree. We thank all of you for, for uh, joining us on this monocotic journey. Back to our regular, regularly scheduled programming next week with an yeah. actual tree. It's gonna be it's gonna be great. I don't even know what we're covering next Ooh, week, Casey. Excellent. I gotta look at the I gotta look at the doc, uh, Casey. It's time for a segment. Ooh, uh, Alex. It is officially that time of year, the inaugural time of year for the Tournament of Champion Trees. 2022 presented by arbitrary media yes <laughs> oh, i'm so excited it goes christmas turn of champion trees like thanksgiving and and christmas. uh and <laughs> halloween um casey this is our first ever time doing this we are doing a tournament yep of trees a 16 seedling bracket uh we thought we can't just go into this thing with opinions alone no we have to have some sort of scientific basis for these matchups. Don't you wish we had that same idea with our podcast? <laughs> no way. <laughs> so we asked the, 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 our fungal associates you. to nominate trees that they think deserve to be in the tournament. That's right. Uh, we got s- around 40 nominations. Uh, yeah, just underneath. Yes. Uh, over 36 nominations, I'll say. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, only 16 of those trees could be in the competition. Yes. Uh, so let's see. Yesterday, mm-hmm. on the 15th, the first round of this tournament premiered on Patreon. That's right. With our special guest... Tobin Mitnick, you may know him as Jews Love Trees. Spectacular person. Wonderful guy. Best uh, reviewer we could have asked to help us with this journey. Yeah, the only one. Yeah. He did He did a splendid job. We had a lot of fun, Casey. We did. The entire first round, eight matchups mm-hmm. between 16 trees uh, is on the Patreon right now. So if you want to hear that and see where we are in the tournament right now, 
That's patreon.com slash arbitrarypod. You just have to join the Arboretum level. It's five bucks a month. You can just pay the five bucks, listen to it, and quit if you want. It's going to be, it's, there's a lot of other good stuff on there, so you don't have to. We, well, you know, we also have, we also have like 30 bonus episodes up, up there now. It's kind of, it's, it's turning into a great little catalog, Casey. It really is. Um, so, Casey, we decided to kind of mix, uh, mix some ideas here and give each tree in the tournament Mm -hmm. four attributes. Yes. Those attributes are strength. Yep. Wisdom. Mm -hmm. Power. Correct. And altruism. That is right. So let's describe to the people what we're going to do for the next few minutes is describe how this tournament works because you need a fucking PhD to understand what's happening. (laughs) Casey, let's describe how we came up with these attributes. Okay. They're all zero to five. Yep. For each tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, do you want to start with uh, with uh, Let's start with wisdom. Let's describe how we came all up right. with wisdom. That sounds great. So, wisdom. We said, well, if you are wise, you are an elder, most likely. Yes, so, a box elder. Exactly, most likely a box elder, which wasn't nominated. Mm. So the wisdom rating uh, is one of two different things. Either if there is an oldest tree that has been measured, I sought that tree out, yeah. and I put that in as the as its number. So let's say, for instance, uh, the bristlecone pine. That was one. That the oldest one, and I I, I just am going with the the most obvious one, which is Methuselah. That is four thousand. 865 years old. That number gets added in. And then each other tree, if I couldn't get a certain individual age, then we sought out the the maximum age that it would grow. Right. Oh, this tree grows to about 130, 140 years. Something like that. You take 140. I take 140. Yeah. Correct. Then uh, for this one and then for a few others, what we did is we wanted to put it down between five. So the maximum, which again is that bristlecone pine, Mm -hmm. what I did is I took every, I made that a five. Then I took all the rest of the numbers, all the rest of the ages, and I put those as a percentage of the oldest tree. So they're all relative to each other. And then multiplied that percentage by number five, and then that gives us a number between zero and five. So all of these stats are graded on a curve, basically. Yes, exactly. The curve being the oldest of each of those categories, or the largest number. The largest number and the lowest number. Exactly. So that's wisdom, is Mm -hmm. age of of tree. Yes. Now, would you tell us what the strength is, Alex? I can certainly do my best, Casey. Strength is based on the Jenka hardness of the wood from the tree. So much fun. <laughs> so the Jenka hardness, if you're unfamiliar, mm-hmm. as I was until a few days ago, is the pounds of force it takes to put a 0.444 inch steel ball bearing into a piece of wood to half its diameter. Yes, correct. So softer woods will have mm-hmm. a lower Jenka rating. Mm-hmm. Harder woods will have a higher Jenka rating. That's exactly right. That's strength. Well done. I, that was the best I've done it so far. That was really incredible. I think you did a great job. <laughs> not, not missed at all. I'll have edited it out, but I did have to stop for about 10 seconds and think of how I wanted to phrase it. Casey, there, there is the power, <laughs> which is the, the <laughs> AmericanForests.org uh champion tree rating which was the the seed from which this 
insane plant we've grown <laughs> grew. Yes. Um, they they give a rating based on an equation, mm-hmm. which you will tell us now. I will. It is height in feet plus circumference in inches yep. plus the average crown spread divided by four. Not everything divided by four, just the average crown sped, spread divided by four. Plus the circumference and the height. Right. So that that number that they mm-hmm. give to a specimen of each species in the tournament, we took into Casey's same formula to give it a zero through five. Yes, correct. Uh, last, but certainly not least, maybe no, my favorite category. Probably the most important one here. I agree, Casey, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is altruism. Yes. Uh, why don't you tell us about altruism, Casey? So the way that I defined altruism for what we're doing here today is your and I's rating of the tree, but based on, let's say, its ecological value. That's it's, right. It's friendliness. It's tastiness. Perhaps it's cr- curmudgeonness. Mm. Is it a tree that uh, grows up alone, grows away from all of its friends, doesn't really give a whole lot back to the ecosystem? It just says, leave me alone. Or is it a tree that grows a delicious fruit that we humans enjoy, or a seed that birds enjoy, mm-hmm. or live among alligators and yeah. provide shade, or provide a habitat for moss? Exactly. Insects of all kinds. Yes. How much does it give back to the area in which it grows? Yes. So um, That's it, altruism. That is. And we took all of those, and we added them together to be a number between 0 and 20. That's right. And that we called the arbitrary rating. Yes. So each tree has a, those four attributes plus its arbitrary rating, which yes. is its overall score. Correct. So... If you're still with us. <laughs> Which you are. Everyone's, there's so many people with pencils being like, I've been waiting for this. What exactly is going right. on? We got, we got to know. So that is our tournament, Casey. Yes, exactly. And we have 16 trees competing in the tournament. You nominated them. They're in the tournament, or maybe they're not. Yep. And uh, the fir- full first round was done yesterday on our Patreon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I really encourage you to go listen to that if you can. Follow along, everyone. Uh, next week, we are going to be sharing. Uh, we're going to be doing right there, I think, live. I think we actually have to go live to the event. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's scheduled for next week. Uh, we're going to be doing our second and third round, I believe. No, uh, just second, second round next week. Okay. The following week will be our semifinals yes. and our final round. Oh, I'm so excited to figure out what this is going to be. So tune in to those main lines and check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash arbitrary pod to hear the full round one with our friend Tobin Mitnick. Yes. And I should add preliminary rounds. We're not even going to get into it. Please. Right now. No. <laughs> uh, Casey, it's time for a completely arbitrary Q and a, all right, let's get it done. This week's question comes from our most regally named fungal associate. Mm-hmm. You'll remember Chandler Witherington. Ah, uh, yes. Chandler writes, uh, hi, Casey and Alex. Hello. Hi, Chandler. Your podcast is one of my faves. I laugh out loud every time I listen, and you guys have yes. made me notice and appreciate trees way more than I did before. Hey, that is our mission that statement. Is literally our mission statement. Thank you. I have a question for you about animals and trees. Mm, okay. I was just reading an article about European bison, And it said they strip the bark from trees and eat it. When animals strip bark from trees, does this damage the tree or make it harder for the tree to survive? Thanks for being great. Thank you, Chandler, for being great. Casey, we talked about European bison in our... 
mm. our Two Towers episode. Yes, we sure did. Um, One so of the, the forest dwellers of that northern uh, forest. Uh, the, the, the bee forest. Bee forest. Honestly, I have the pick. It's burned into my brain, but I can't say it out loud. It's like Bialzy Walk or yeah, something. Yeah, something like that. I need yeah. to have one of my Polish friends explain or say it to me. Uh, Casey, what do you think about this? Is taking the bark off a tree hurt it? I think I know the answer. What do you think? I think it's probably a yes. The answer is yes. Yes. It 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 uh, exposes the cambium to yep. outside forces, which is the whole point of bark is to protect the cambium. That's precisely right. It is very common, though. So a lot of animals would do this porcupine over here and grizzly bear. A lot of different animals do it because that, that layer underneath the bark is really nutritious. Yummy jelly. Exactly. I will say, I think you would probably have to take a lot of bark off a tree mm, to... Yes. to fully kill it yeah well really all you do is have to take a uh, uh just one strip around the whole thing that's right you essentially girdle the tree is the term where you take all you, you disconnect all the pipes from the top and the bottom if they can't reconnect then the tree will die right so in this case uh with the bison ripping it off they rip it off in strips the strip kind of goes up right oh yeah that would be way more uh, um, tolerable than if you went all the way around. Because it can just kind of compartmentalize around that. Exactly. That's, ex- that's exactly what it does. It compartmentalizes yeah. that section of, you know, of that wound and then will make it so that that kind of probably puts out a bunch of sap and things like that to mm. make sure that nothing really can get into it, seal it up as best they can. Because remember, trees don't heal, they seal. <laughs> Yes, queen. There we go. So what you have, I don't know even what that's from, Alex, but I love it. Oh, it's just the way you said that was okay. very like, uh, you know. Yeah, remember, girl. Empowering. Yeah, thank you. That's you good. All right. Um, so let's see. If you are ripping off that strip of bark and you do it all the way around the tree, you disconnect a certain amount of those of those pipes that are moving things up and down in yeah. that cambial layer. Now if you do that one time, okay, the tree's probably gonna be like, wow, stop. And then it will it'll redirect <laughs> things and it'll probably be just fine unless it gets some disease that comes in or some insect. We'll assume that's not gonna happen. Okay. If you just keep on doing that over and over around the tree, you're going to basically put a constriction on what the tree is taking up and taking down. It can only start pushing down uh, everything that it's making through these tiny little strips. Or they can only pull enough water um, if you rip off what equates to three quarters of all the bark on that tree even though it's spread out mm. you now only have one quarter of those pipes actively working so that could actually kill the tree it's just not getting enough water question go when you cut off some pipes uh-huh. do the other pipes have to work harder or do they just like keep doing their thing and the tree just gets fewer and fewer nutrients to the top they kind of just get fewer and fewer nutrients because okay. they're set it literally in wood so they can't kind of grow bigger or anything like that so the tree will oh. try to pull up as much water as it can maybe that will be um, because the demand will be higher on certain places you'll get a an intense flow in those areas in, so, or a increase in flow rather yeah so trees don't have like blood pressure yeah I don't think so and they if just they do chug along I would be curious to hear more about this because 
because that might actually there I know that trees will certainly expand and contract by the minutest of uh dimensions right. if they are filled with water versus not. Oh, which is okay. Really, really interesting. There's like even things you can measure this with, like the minutest uh increase in diameter because their cells kind of fill up with water. You're talking the wood? The wood, yeah. The, wow. wood, the whole outer section because that cambium layer will get just a little bit bigger. So the wood itself may be expanding ever so slightly on the sapwood right on the inside. Okay. But generally speaking, it's going to be a very small amount. So if you are a tree and you now have fewer pipes, your pipes will be working as as hard as they can, but they, they can't expand out, you know, forever. So they can't just say, well, just make all your pipes bigger. Yeah. It also messes with the uh, the pressure and the, the way that trees move water and things up and down. So if the pipes are too big, then it actually doesn't have enough suction right. a lot of times. In fact, if you're in a drought-prone area, you want to pull up a lot of water, but you, uh, you can kind of there's a lot to deal with and your roots are really low they actually have really big vessels to pull up a lot of water but then as soon as it gets up to the higher areas they actually become smaller so that the water is uh slowed down and it's put out in certain areas and everything is kind of metered through the tree now that's a fun fact it's very curious um however uh people also do this historically um native peoples in vancouver and the pacific northwest Mm -hmm. would take strips off of living trees in order to work with them or do whatever it is that they are using that strip for, probably making baskets and different kinds of um, textile materials. But they didn't want to kill the tree, of Of course. course. So what they would do is they would strip off bark on maybe three or four sections of the tree, then go do that to another tree, then another tree. And you can still see those trees where they essentially have four big ribs or five big ribs of living wood. And they're called culturally... um, altered trees i know um nerdy about nature has a really cool video where he talks about Mm. this and so it's a really interesting like pattern that you can see with these trees we do the same thing with cork trees cork oak is where we get natural cork from from this tree called the cork oak grows over in the mediterranean um they strip off the outer bark but they leave the inner bark and then we we use the outer bark to stop up you know whatever it is we're stopping up However, we're not eating it. We're not getting the nutrients in with the Native American use here. We're also ripping it off because that under the really uh, fibrous bark and the stuff closest has the certain vibe or the it bends and it moves right. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're not, you know, necessarily scraping off that jelly and eating it. So when the bison does it, when the porcupine does it, it has a huge effect on trees and it could kill them or it could girdle them and actually cause the tree to 100% die. But when that dies, those trees, and then just move on to the next one, another tree will take its place. Yeah. So that's just a part of the natural ecosystem. Whenever the an animal's like, well, I really haven't got a lot of nutrients. It's late in uh, the winter or early spring. Not enough things have flushed. There's still snow covering everywhere. You'll see a lot more attacks on trees where they'll just rip the bark off and eat that really nutritious cambium layer. Right on. So long story long. Yes. <laughs> wow, you said it. <laughs> Casey. <laughs> thank you Chandler for your question if you have a question about trees email us at arbitrarypod at gmail.com that's A-R-B-O-R-T-R-A-R-Y-P-O-D dot com mm. excuse me at gmail.com wow <laughs> I fucked that up that's right edit it in uh, <laughs> if you want to support this podcast and hear like I said 30-ish bonus episodes right mm-hmm. now including yep. the Tournament of Champion Trees round one with Tobin Mitnick join our Patreon at the $5 tier level patreon.com slash arbitrary pod or the Cone of the Month Club 
and receive a unique die cut cone sticker illustrated by an independent artist, a different independent artist every month in your mailbox with an info card packed lovingly by Casey Clapp. That's right. Uh, Casey, the tournament begins and next week, round two, right here on the mainline pod. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We love you a lot. Take care out there. Love each other. Go plant a tree or hug one or do something nice for a friend. How about that, Casey? That sounds like a great thing. Am I am I high roading anybody? I don't I don't I don't think so. I think okay. Fine. <laughs> oh, who would you be high roading? One of those curmudgeons is just like I ain't doing anything for a tree. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. So you're doing fine. I don't want to alienate those people. Yeah. Oh. Okay. All right. Yeah. Good. Don't. <laughs> the Alexes of the world. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks for listening, to everybody, uh, to this episode of Completely Arbitrary. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Completely Arbitrary is produced by Alex Croson and Casey Clapp. Our artwork is by Jillian Barthold, and our music is by Aves and the Mini Vandals. And you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash arbitrarypod. And find additional readings at completelyarbitrary.com. Thanks for listening. 